Benvenidos a Half the Battle. Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today, we're going to be talking about UFC Mexico City and my friends. It's going down this Saturday night live at the Arena Ciudad de Mexico in Mexico City, Mexico. We got two rematches in the main and co-main event. We're talking about Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Royval for the flyweight main event. And also in the co-main event, we got a rematch in the featherweight division between Yair El Pantera Rodriguez taking on Brian T-City Ortega. My friends, cabrones, hermanos, hermanas, let's get right down to business because in the main event, we got Brandon Moreno, he's 21 and seven, taking on Brandon Roy Vall, who's 15 and seven. And currently, they got it. Brandon Moreno minus 250. The comeback on Brandon Roy Vall is plus 210. So, like I said, this is a rematch. When you watch their first fight, first couple minutes on the feet, I mean, this dude, Brandon Roy Vall, so long for the flyweight division, standing at five foot nine. He's got the 70 inch reach. And he was landing some good stuff on, on Moreno early on. But the thing about Brandon Royval, he's so confident in his jujitsu that he doesn't care about stuffing takedowns and something that's cost him. I'm not even just referring to the Pantoja fight, but you look back at his LFA title fight against Casey Kenny, and it was the exact same thing. You know, hey, if he catches you, he catches you. But when he's rolling around, on the mat, it just depends who he's up against, but against a guy like Moreno, against the guys like Pantoja, even Casey Kenny back in the day, you just cannot be giving up those easy takedowns. And that, that's what I'm worried about on the Royval side. For Brandon Moreno, I mean, he's a consummate professional. He's good everywhere the fight goes. My, not issue, but my kind of, you know, ordeal with him is that, you know, he's been dropped four times in his last four fights. Now, granted, three of those were against Davison, Dice Duguea, Figueredo, one of the hardest hitters in the division. But all I'm saying is, if you watch that first Roy Val Moreno fight on the feet, it was not smooth sailing for Moreno. However, as soon as he got it to the ground, it was smooth sailing. Granted, an injury occurred. So to me, now it's just going to be a more extended fight. I, I see, you know, Moreno, as long as he comes out here smart, which, I mean, he's always been a very smart guy. You know what's funny? I called up my friend Cody Durden, who fights in the UFC flyweight division, because I wanted his opinion on this, right? And we kind of view, you know, I thought we were kind of viewing Moreno kind of like on the older side. Maybe he's about to hit this decline and whatnot, because, I mean, he's already had two title runs. Like, how many times can you climb back up the mountain? But what's interesting was Cody let me know Roy Vall's older than Moreno. I, I was actually very surprised. I thought that Royval was the young guy. Now, granted, both guys are young, 30, 31. You know, I'm not putting too much stock in the age. I was just kind of surprised to hear that Royval was the, the younger guy in this spot, surprisingly. So, yeah. Um, but, and another thing that Cody brought up was the kind of cardio that Royval has because he trains in Denver. And I know a lot of people are going to mention that Mexico city elevation, which they absolutely should. This is not one of those things where it's like, Oh yeah, everybody's mentioning this. You know what a square take nah, dog. Like, check it out. When people fight in Denver, we talk about like, yo, that's serious elevation, right? That's serious altitude. Mexico city is like 2000 feet above Denver. Like we're talking about, it's only a couple hundred feet away from where you'd get straight up altitude sickness. So these dudes better come out here in advance uh, to get acclimated. Cause you remember the famous story of when 
um, Cain Velasquez fought Fabricio Vicavala Werdum for the heavyweight championship in Mexico City. Werdum goes out like a month or two in advance to acclimate. Kane, you know, being cardio Kane, he thought, dog, I don't need to go, you know, a week or two in advance. And Bobrecito, uh, you know what I'm saying? Shit did not go his way. Uh, but here with Roy Vall, even though he hasn't been training in Mexico, at least he's been training in Denver. So at least that's better than nothing, right? Than sea level. And uh, with Moreno, It'll be interesting to see because, you know, he doesn't – I think he trains out of somewhere else in Mexico that doesn't have that kind of elevation. Is it like Tijuana or something like that? Um, but, yeah, I mean, as long as he's acclimated well, I think he is the more well-rounded guy. He's just on the feet. Not that Moreno can't have his success. Of course Moreno can have his his, his moments. It's Brandon, got, it's Brandon fucking Moreno. It, it, it's just that. Royval is dangerous, man. Royval will go for it. Royval will uh, throw unorthodox techniques, sidekicks to the face. He's so long, so those straight punches, like you don't see them coming, and he can hit you from ranges that you thought you were safe in, and he'll take a lot of risks. So you love to see those qualities in a fighter. My issue with Royval is that takedown defense has been something that's been exposed for years, and I don't see how that's going to change now. So I think that Moreno is going to have a lot of top control time. It's just... The in-betweens and on the feet is where I'm kind of like, you know, that's where if you bet Moreno, you're going to be like, like, Brandon, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, Brandon, like, like, chill out, man. Don't be eating too many of these. Let's Brandon shoot on his legs. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think Brandon Moreno should get this one done too well-rounded. And especially if he comes out here smart, exploits that, that takedown defense of Roy Vall. And I think that he's sound enough um, as far as his techniques on the ground to avoid any of these opportunistic submissions coming his way from Roy Vall. So Roy Vall can absolutely catch him and hurt him like he did to Kai Kaur France, like he's done to a lot of guys along the way, Mateus Nicola. But if that doesn't happen, I see the smart and kind of just that that fight IQ to, to quote Conor McGregor uh, for Brandon Moreno being the difference here. So I, I'm going to go Brandon Moreno to win this fight. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we also got a rematch, this time between Yair El Pantera Rodriguez. He's 18 and 4, taking on Brian T. City Ortega, who's 15 and 3. And currently, my friends, they got it. Wow. Some actions come in on T City. Currently, it's minus 150 Yair Rodriguez. The comeback on Brian Ortega is plus 130. So the first time they fought, I bet on Yair Rodriguez, right? And but but the difference being, my friends, was it was plus 155 the first time. Now we're looking at minus 150. So it, it, it's just a completely, completely, completely different matchup. You know what I'm saying? In terms of in terms of the odds, like that completely changes everything because I line it, you know, 60% Yair, maybe a little bit more. So to me, there's not much value on the Yair line despite me probably picking him. Because like the way I view this fight is that Yair, when you watch the first fight, Yair, yeah, he was absolutely lighting him up but you got to take into consideration a lot of guys light up T-City. T-City is one of these guys. He's a walking punching bag. I mean that with all due respect. He's so damn durable. It's ridiculous. But he's opportunistic. He wears you down. You gas out from whooping on him. And then he just needs that one moment. He's got power in his hands. You shoot a sloppy takedown on him. Just ask Moicano about that. And there's been times when, you know, Brian's gone out there and dangled off dudes next. But I also want to bring up Brian Ortega has not won via submission since 2017, my friends, against Cub Swanson. You know, it's 2024 now. That's a long ass time ago. That's seven years ago. So 
Uh, not saying it can't happen again. Not saying he can't get his first submission in seven years here, but it, it's just interesting because I heard someone talking about, you know, Mackenzie Dern last week about how, like, you know, she's not really training jujitsu anymore. and She's kind of complacent. And, and a similar thing could be said for Brian Ortega. I don't know for sure, but I've, I have seen a bit of complacency. It's just Brian Ortega is a dangerous opportunistic guy. Like, it ain't over until it's over with a guy like Brian Ortega. So what I'm worried about is, look, I know Yair's going to light this man up standing, 100%. Like, I'm I'm sold on that. Um, it's just that um, Yair, what I don't want is, you know, his tendency to fade in fights. Not because his cardio is not good. His cardio is amazing. The guy trains in Mexico. He's trained in, he's trained in all kinds of places in elevation. It's more so his style. With all those flashy kicks, they take a lot, a lot of energy. And he's the kind of guy who will jump off the cage or throw some 360 roundhouse, roundhouse kick and then land on the bottom. And then that's where Ortega gets on top. And you could lose a round that way. And we can talk about that last fight, how um, Yair had that submission attempt with that arm bar. But let, let, let's keep it 100, as always, my friends. Like, first of all, as someone who had a Yair ticket at plus 155 or whatever the odds were, yeah, yeah of course I was happy. But the reality was that arm bars attack elbows. Like, like when an arm bar, you're hyperextending the elbow, right? Right here, right? Whereas the injury that Ortega got was up here. Yeah, maybe when he yanked out his arm, that might have been the difference. But sometimes, like with these injuries, like you remember with Tom Aspinall when he got injured against Blaze, the doctor told him, like, hey, it was a it was just a matter of time. Like with Jamal Hill with the Achilles, like it happened in the basketball game. <laughs> Thank God it didn't happen in a fight. But the doctor told him it was just a matter of time before that would have happened. So maybe this would have happened to Ortega, you know, on a different exchange. Maybe he would have thrown a punch and blown his shoulder out. Who knows? But the bottom line is, I don't think you should count that as a submission win. I heard people saying they should count that as a submission win. No, they shouldn't. Um, you know, I'm not a black belt like Ortega, but I am a two-stripe purple belt. And I know damn well that arm bars attack elbows, not shoulders. So to me, um, I was happy to get the win, but like, you know, I, I'm also happy that they're running it back because it's a little inconclusive. I want I want to see what happens when these guys really go with no with no injuries, no flukes, no nothing. So yeah, um, I, I'm picking Yair. It's just I don't like the line. I already got my plus 155 last time. Like that line was off. This line is accurate. The point of gambling, you know, people say it's all about picking winners. Hey, if you can just consistently pick winners, you have an 100% hit rate. Then by all means, just pick winners. But I'm looking at it more so as I don't feel like I have any value on these odds because last time I did last time plus 155 was value. Now the line's about accurate. So I, I and I even said last time these guys run it 10 times. It's going to be a different result every single time. So the thing with Ortega, let, let, let's bring up that zombie fight because that's the last time he won a fight. So the thing with zombie is he's more of a counter guy um, and Ortega is more of a walking punching bag. So like. It, it was kind of interesting, the dynamic. First round, not much happens. Second round, Zombie starts putting it on him, right? And then he gets caught with, like, this back elbow, and he, it just seemed like he never recovered after that. Not to make excuses, great job by by uh, Ortega on that performance, for sure. Um, it's just about Ortega, we know the deal. It, it's about opportunistic finishes along the way. He's not going to be winning until he wins type thing. Uh, another thing, though, with his insane durability, I'm wondering at what point is he finally going to go out, right? Because, like, that Max Holloway fight, there were times in that fight where it was like, oh, my God, this is, like, uncomfortable to watch. But the heart he displayed there and against Volk, it's just second to none, the kind of heart this guy has. But I, what I'm trying to say here is that, like, 
Max Holloway, one of the best to ever do it. But Max Holloway is known for those kind of that volume attack, not necessarily the power. Whereas Yair Rodriguez, you land a, a, a shin to chin. I don't care how tough you are, man. Like this could be the first time that Ortega gets knocked out. But the longer the fight goes, I could see it being an advantage for Ortega if Yair starts to slow down. And Ortega can be down two rounds and come out there and finish in the third round like he did against Moicano, like he did um, against Clay Guida, like he's done in a few other fights. So he's very good at coming back in fights. I'm still going to pick Yair, though, um, because I, I do think for a fact he's going to light him up. And if he can just light him up and kind of just play it like safe and just be clean. Like if you're going to jump off the wall and do these like, you know, low percentage flashy moves that'll kind of like end you up on your back. I prefer that, like, you know, in the last 20 seconds of the round as opposed to doing that in the first couple of minutes, right? So as long as he plays it smart, I think Yair can get it done. But I, I'm just not crazy about the price considering the price I got last time. So to me, it's a pass, but my pick is Yair. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got the featured bout between Daniel Zelhuber. He's 14-1, and taking on Francisco Prado, who's 12-1. and Currently, they got it. Daniel Zelhuber minus 270. The comeback on Francisco Prado is plus 230. So Mexico versus Argentina. You love to see it. Two prospects, 14 and 1 versus 12 and 1. You also love to see it. I hear people talking about like, oh my God, they're gonna ruin a, a, a prospect. No, they're not. Let's find out who's better right now. And whoever loses this fight, they'll bounce back and they'll go. These guys are young, these guys are kids, and this is an exciting fight. Like, let them duke it out. I cannot wait. So with Daniel Zahuber, I've bet on him in literally every single UFC fight, and he's got a lot of great attributes. He's massive for the weight class, 6'2", 6'3", got the long-ass reach, kind of is like he's got the flashiness of a Yair Rodriguez, but the issue I've had with Yair is Yair's boxing for MMA isn't quite the best. It's just the kicks you got to be worried about, whereas with Daniel Zahuber, he's got the flashy kicks, but he's got some very sharp hands too. Um, and also his takedown defense is second to none, which is something that's that might be a big, big factor in this fight because this kid Prado, so people compare him to Drew Dober, just kind of how he looks and his body type, but he doesn't fight like Drew Dober. He's got the same body type, but he's orthodox Drew Dober, southpaw. And the big thing with Francisco Prado, yeah, he does have power in his hands, but dude, when he gets on top of you, Francisco Prado's ground and pound is so nasty that if I'm on Zell Uber here, the last thing I want is for Prado to get on top of us. As long as Prado doesn't get on top, I think Daniel Zell Huber is going to win this fight. Um, the thing with Prado, I watched all his regional fights, and he's like levels above those guys where he clearly belongs in the UFC. It's just now you're not fighting these, you know, cab drivers and taco stand guys anymore. Now you're you're fighting, you know, the, the top uh, prospects in the UFC. So he's going to get battle tested. And he's definitely someone I think is going to swim. He's going to stick around the UFC a while. I like this kid Prado a lot. And when you watch that fight against Atman Azaitar, you know, some of the stand-up exchanges were kind of, you know, hit or miss. But he hits, the, he hits him with that spin. And then as soon as he gets on top, like I told you, all that ground and pound from Francisco Prado is just nasty. So when he was on top of uh, Atman Azaitar, I was like, oh shit here it comes like because it's like you just got rocked with the spin and now you got to deal with this guy's biggest weapon which is that devastating brutal ground and pound so with daniel zahuber yes he's been rocked in a couple fights uh the lucas almeida fight round one the christos giagos fight well uh, round one but he's got an insane chin very good recoverability good fight iq <laughs> i said it with the connor accent um 
But uh, my thing with him, like you look at the Trey Ogden fight, I personally chalk that down to a debut stunt. You know, I, I talk about this often, how like with Tyla Santos, when she made her debut against Mara Romero Barella and she pulled her stunt where it wasn't about, oh, Barella looked great or, oh, Trey Ogden looked great. It was just about... Danielle Zellhuber and Tyler Santos simply stared at their opponents. The lights were too bright in the debut. They pulled what we like to refer to as the debut stunt. The difference being was I held it against Tyler Santos and I faded her in a couple subsequent fights, lost my ass. But with Zellhuber, I trusted my initial reads on him and who I thought he initially was as a prospect. And I didn't turn my back on him. I learned my lesson from the Tyler Santos fight. And I kept betting this kid. And we, we cashed the next two fights. So here... Uh, against uh, Prado, I think he's going to win this fight. As long as he doesn't get on bottom and get ground and pounded, I think he's going to win this fight. I think the range is a little bit too much. What's the reach difference here? The reach difference has to be, I'm guessing, something significant. Let me take a, a little look. Yeah, okay, eight-inch reach advantage. Yeah, that's what I thought. So on, on you know, uh, on the feet at range, Daniela is going to be lighting this man up. It's just... um Prado has to close that distance. If Prado gets in close, I mean, he does have heavy hands, but it's uh, it's back to what I'm – the only thing I'm really worried about is that ground and pound. Besides that, I think Daniel Zahuber, first round might be kind of, you know, uh, you know, this kid's going to come out with some uh, with some fury, some pride. But after that, I think Daniel Zahuber takes over. And I think it's Bryce Guys for this kid. Like, I really think his ceiling is the top 15. I think he makes it the top 15, whereas Prado, I see him sticking around for sure. Um, and I see him having a lot of exciting finishes along the way. Um, I just need to kind of scout more, like, you know, based on this fight and subsequent fights to see if he's going to be a future top 15 guy or not. I have not made that, you know, I haven't planted my flag yet. Whereas I'm pretty convinced Zell Huber will be in the top 15 to top 20 one day. So I'm going Daniel Zell Huber here. And uh, we'll figure out if we can find a way to bet him. We got to see right now we're recording on Tuesday. Let's see if some action comes in on Prado. Who knows? But um, yeah, I'm keeping uh, I'm keeping an open mind. Now, next up in the bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Raul Rosas Jr. taking on Raul Rosas Jr., who's eight and one, taking on Ricky Tercios, who's twelve and three. Currently, they got it. Raul Rosas minus hey, it's coming down a little bit. It was minus two seventy. Now it's about minus two forty five. The comeback on Ricky Tercios is plus two five. So action has been coming in on Ricky Ter Tercios. For some reason, people love fading Raul Rosas Jr. I don't know what it is, but people love fading the hype trains. But like, you got to fade the hype train when they really take that big step up in competition. People consider this a step up in competition. I disagree. Look, is it a step up compared to you know Jay Perrin and Terrence Mitchell? Okay, yeah, but is it a step up? compared to D-Rod, or uh, C-Rod, excuse me, hell no, and Raul cleanly won that fight against C-Rod, not to mention with a kid this young, you're going to be seeing massive leaps every single time he fights, and Ricky Tercios, like, he's a vet, he's got more experience, and he's just okay, but like, Ricky Tercios loses to lower level guys, like, whether we're talking about back in 2017 against Boston Salmon. 2018 against Mana Martinez and 2022 against Eamon Zahabi going to a split decision with Kevin Natividad going to a split decision with Brady Heastan like no disrespect to any of these fighters but I'm just saying um I think that Ricky Tercios is super inconsistent and sometimes mentally I got big questions about him like that one fight where he didn't throw anything and he was just key eyeing the whole time like yeah that's just that's that shit I don't like man um and I get again people have this love affair with fading um raul rosas they were fucking betting jay parent <laughs> you know what i'm saying dog so now they want to bet ricky tercios um i think raul rosas is gonna not necessarily run through him i mean tercios is a tough vet but 
I think he's going to establish his dominance. And if you can just kind of reel it in a little bit, you don't have to go 100 miles per hour, you know, the second the bell rings, like we can slow it down a bit. And if you can just show me a little bit more maturity. This is a great step up for him to go out there and shine. Show, you know, like I said, show a little more maturity, show a little bit more smart, show that you're starting to feel more comfortable inside the UFC's octagon and, and go out there and have a good performance. Because I can tell you right now, Ricky Tercio's ceiling is not the top 15, is not the top 20, is not the top 30. Um, and he probably, I, I just don't like being disrespectful, but like he probably will not be in the UFC this time in the next two years. Whereas Raul Rosa has a bright future. So, going Raul Rosa's the physicality the relentlessness um and just the activity I, I think he's got something for Ricky so yeah I'm going Raul here now next up in the strawweight division we got a matchup between Yasmin Yarigui she's 10 and 1 taking on Sam Hughes who's 8 and 5 currently they got it Yasmin Yarigui minus holy fuck minus 525 to come back on uh, Sam Hughes is plus 400 um, listen, I know a lot of people are holding it against Yasmin that she lost her last fight, but what do you got to take into what do you got to take into consideration, right? Like you watch, like firstly, it was only a 20 second fight and, and she just caught caught right off the bat. She did not quit. She did not look for a way out. She just got caught. And, and that happens from time to time, especially with Denise Gomez, who, you know, for that division, you don't often see straw weights hitting like that, but you saw what Denise Gomez did to uh, Bruna Brazil as well. And there was a big difference in the dynamic between the Bruna Brazil fight and the uh, Yasmin Yaragui fight. I legit thought that Bruna Brazil looked for a way out, whereas Yasmin Yaragui simply got caught. That's what it was. Whereas Sam Hughes, well, Sam Hughes is known for, I have a lot of respect for her, for going 0-3 to start out your UFC career, and now she's won three of her last four. Hey, girl, we love to see it. And Sam Hughes, she's not going to impress you with her physicality or with her athleticism or anything among those lines but but she's a very tough gritty girl if you're not that experienced and you start to slow down on someone like sam hughes that's where she's going to really pick up the pace and kind of break you in that second and third round the thing is there is no break in yasmin yaragu you watch that fight she had against yasmin lucindo the only reason that didn't win fight of the night was because nate landwer versus david onama were on the same card but besides that like people were complaining that Yaragui and Lucinda were on the main card, but after the fight happened, we were like, oh, so that's why they were on the main card. I still think she's a bright prospect, guys. And, um, you know, she did get dropped in that Estela Nunes fight, but she comes back and lands two knockdowns of her own. And uh, I, I just think there's more physicality, more output, more volume. Um, and if it's a close fight, and they give it to Sam Hughes in Mexico, you better fucking expect uh, a lot of Dos Equis bottles to be thrown into the octagon. I, I got Yasmin Yeragui here via decision. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Manuel Loco Torres. He's 14-2, and two, taking on Chris Duncan, who's 11-1. Currently, they got it. Manuel Torres, minus 170. The comeback on Chris Duncan is plus 145. This is a great fight for a lot of reasons. Manuel Torres has been an absolute wrecking ball. This guy's physical for the lightweight division. He hits like a truck. And these knockouts he's had on Contender Series and in UFC have been like, God damn. But there's a common theme. Like, none of these fights have even got past the three-minute and 30-second mark. And again, that's not this guy's fault. Hey, it's not his fault that y'all can't last with him and he's been absolutely killing everybody. But what I want to say is that this guy's been submitted in the first round more than once, and it wasn't that long ago. So, like, we still have question marks about what happens if this guy gets extended. And the thing about Duncan, Duncan kind of went from, like, being this, like, 
meathead brawler like you saw in the Charlie Campbell and the Borsh and the Bar Show fights. Um, to I know the Yanal Ash Moose fight, you know, the dude like was a lower level opponent and and like he I don't did he break his arm or some shit like that, but like I like the fact that Chris Duncan was going out there and mixing it up, even in the fight with Omar, bro. Against Omar, he hit five takedowns um, and outstruck him as well, despite the sketchy situations. And the fight with Yanal, uh, more than doubled him up on strikes, hit two takedowns. So, like, this dude, Duncan, went from being, like, a meathead brawler to, like, being a cerebral fighter. The issue with Duncan is he's a bit on the slower side. He's a little bit chinny. So if he wants to come out here and bang with Manuel Torres, there's a chance he's hitting the deck, and I know a lot of people are confident that that's what's going to be the outcome for this fight. For me, though, if this goes past round one, I'm not saying Manuel can't win, but I'm just saying, like, all bets are off the table at that point because we literally have no idea what this guy looks like at the four-minute mark. And again, I'm not going to be the guy to discredit his incredible finishes. Like, that elbow against Mota, oh, my God, that knockout against Frank Camacho, even the standing one on Contender Series, like, dog, you've been doing your thing. I respect the physicality. I respect it all. The heart, the Mexican will to win, the Mexican supplements, the just that, that la fuerza. You know what I'm saying? But the issue is, again, if he cannot get Duncan out of there early, Pobrecito, it might turn into a really ugly fight where uh where Christian Duncan, or excuse me, Chris Duncan is getting, you know, takedown, starting to grind him out a little bit. I'm just not sure if he's going to get to that point. So I really don't know. This is a tough one, man. Um, I'm going to lean a little bit towards Manuel. He was he was my gut pick, but like he's my gut pick in round one. <laughs> like I said, might be a live betting opportunity after round one, um, just depending how this goes, if he even gets there. But like I, I'm going to pick Manuel, but not confidently. Not, like, people are saying this is lock of the week and all this. Hey, I hope y'all catch because I don't got action on this one. But to me, it's a pass. Because I, I show me a little bit more, Manuel. When I say that, okay, that sounds really bad because it's like, show me a little bit more. You've been fucking deading these guys. That's not what I mean, show me more. Just I personally need to sit back and see what he looks like after a certain point because when you're knocking out all these lower-level guys in the first round, it's great. You love to see it. But like as you rise up the ranks, you can't just keep blowing through everybody like that. Like These, these fights are going to get tougher and tougher. So. Let's let let's let's see if Chris Duncan can get me past round one. I'm very very curious about that. I'll pick Manuel, not confidently, but be, because like Manuel could, like I said, Manuel could absolutely launch this man into the tenth row. I'm just saying, if he doesn't, he starts huffing and puffing. Chris Duncan starts shooting a couple takedowns. Like let's look at these takedown stats real quick. I'm actually curious about it um, because he got five against Omar, but he attempted fourteen. Hey, you attempt fourteen takedowns against Manuel Torres. I'm very interested to see what's going to happen there uh like for real so this is one i got my eye on like i'm not convinced it's the lock y'all think it is but yeah i cannot wait to see it now this one next up in the bantamweight division we got a match between hyoni barcelos he's 17 and 5 taking on christian quinones who's 18 and 4 currently they got it hyoni barcelos minus 175 the comeback on christian quinones is plus 150 i'm very curious about what the age difference is in this fight so yeah okay so Nine-year age advantage uh, for Christian Quinones, nine years younger. Three-inch reach advantage, one-inch height advantage. Um, here's my thing. Barcelos, when he first came into the UFC, it was like, God damn, like, this guy like, might make a title run. It's just that um, 
there were a couple weird things that happened. I think he had like a big fight opportunity and it got canceled and then he took a stupid fight. Let me let me double check. Okay, so he, he starts off in the UFC, right? And he knocks out Kurt Holliba that we're talking about in 2018. Chokes out Chris Gutierrez, knocks out Carlos Huachin, beats Saeed Nurmagomedov, beats Kali Taha. We're like, all right, dog, like, hey, couple fights away from this uh, title shot, right? And then he gets scheduled to fight Rafael Asuncao, right? And Rafael Asuncao, like, you you guys remember, that guy was a perennial top 10 guy. You beat him, you get your title shot. And Rafael pulls out the fight, right? And instead of waiting for Rafael, uh, he made a big mistake, took that Timor Valley fight where it's like, bro, like, Timor is like a dangerous Russian that, like, you know, like why this is such a risky fight like you got your way up to a, a rafael asunsao fight like and now you're fighting this unknown russian who's a really good fighter and then he loses this close majority decision that could have gone either way ah and that's where the decline started because that victor henry fight like we talk about it often you all know what kind of numbers victor henry put up on hyoni dog <laughs> victor henry listen to this victor henry goes out there against hyoni he attempts 400 strikes he lands 222 of them he put an output clinic on hyoni um but then i bet on hyoni against uh trevin jones because of that output angle and like hyoni you know the strike count well check out the strike count hyoni outstrikes uh trevin jones 119 to 15 <laughs> you know what i'm saying so those are my favorite angles where like a dude can land over 100 significant strikes taking on one of these like woodley guys who backs himself into the fence and doesn't throw shit right but then he fought umar Nurmagomedov, right no shame in getting knocked out by umar interesting fact right uh hyoni coming off that knockout loss and then he lost another subsequent fight to kyler is still coming back before umar Nurmagomedov. like holy shit dog but then he was supposed to fight miles johns and i was gonna bet on hyoni for the exact same reason i bet him against trevin jones that output angle uh, but here against Christian, like at what point is Hyoni really hitting that decline to where it's like, yeah, bro, like you can't even hang with dudes that you used to be able to hang with. I mean, he's going to turn 37 in two months. Um, and the thing with Christian Quinones, I bet him in his debut against Taha. I was expecting a, a decision. He goes out there and knocks him out in the first round. Hey, dog, I, I respect it. Um, I passed in the next fight against Kang. I picked Kang on the show. Here, I'm kind of, I don't know, because it's like the Hyoni of old runs through this kid, but like, you know, if Hyoni used to be up here and Christian used to be here, but now, like, at what point do they kind of even out or at what point does Christian potentially surpass Hyoni? Because Christian is just a kid who's getting better every single day, whereas we've already seen the peak uh, of Hyoni Barcelos. And what I like about Christian, he reminds me of his brother Teco, just got that kind of like, mexican dominant crew style a lot of a lot of stance switching a lot of volume not the heaviest hitter despite the taha knockout um and i didn't like him getting choked out that last fight but granted he got rocked first so it's like hyoni's better and hyoni should win but hyoni is about to be like 37 or something like so i i don't know man this is tough I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna pick the upset. I'm gonna pick Christian Quinones for the upset. Let's see what happens. I'm not confident, but I think he might be catching Hyoni at a good time. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Jesus Aguilar. He's nine and two, taking on Mateusz Mendonce. 
who's 10 and 2. Currently, they got it. Uh, Mateus Mendonz, minus 160. The comeback on Jesus Aguilar is plus 140. And just so you all know, this opened a dead pick'em at minus 110 apiece. So the actions come in on Mendonz. And I know Mendonz, he pulled a he pulled he pulled a candidate for stun of the year that last fight against Maness, right? Like just like you know, he has this great fight with Bashrat where it's like you clearly lost, but you saw like, hey, there's still talent in this kid. You're gonna bounce back better. You're gonna learn from that loss. Come back, do your thing, and then against Maness, what? We're a, you're a leg lock guy now. Like, oh my god, that was mad. That was the thing about it though is I've never seen him do that in like any of his other fights. So I'm hoping he just had like he just lost his mind a little bit or something, and that you know. Hopefully his buddies at uh, at shoot the box got his head on straight because like I do think Mateus Mendonca is a talented guy. Like I like his power, I like his athleticism. He's good on the ground. Like he's good everywhere. It's just uh, the mental needs to catch up with the physical. That that's all it really is. You know he's got a nine inch reach advantage in this fight. Jesus Aguilar, I like this kid for like he's a tiny guy. He's five foot four with a sixty two inch reach, but like. He fights with big balls. Like, I really I really like this guy a lot. Like, um, he's got a nasty guillotine, which I'm a fan of. I'm a huge guillotine fan uh, as a grappler myself who's into the front headlock uh, chokes and stuff like that. I don't put any stock into his uh, only knockout win against Shannon Ross. Like, if you're a UFC fighter and you haven't figured out how to beat Shannon Ross yet, there's a big problem, right? So, you know, he, he handled Shannon Ross how you're supposed to handle Shannon Ross. But that's not indicative that he's going to come out here and handle Mateus Mendonca. But then you look back at that goddamn 7K-plus feet elevation, and if Mateus starts working hard and this gets extended and he hasn't really badly compromised Jesus, Jesus could take over. Jesus could possibly guillotine him. So this is an interesting fight. It's just that my gut tells me that Mateus Mendonca is a lot better than what we've seen. It's just for, it's hard for me to lay chalk when he's coming off those two performances, especially the stunt he pulled last last time, that was really bad. And Jesus has got some momentum behind him, but but Jesus, uh, he's too small. He's too small. He's a midget, you know. And I'm saying he's tiny, but but he's a big ball midget, you know. And I'm saying like he fights like the man. So I really respect Jesus, and I know a lot of sharp people on Jesus, and I wish you all the best because I'm passing. Um, but I'm leaning with Mendonca, like. I really think this kid's talented. Just has to, just like, just let the mental meet the physical, and I think this guy can win some fights. Just, uh, just has to show it to me before I'm willing to back him against at the betting window. So I'm gonna pick Mateus Mendonca, but it's a pass for me, and it might even be a dog or pass situation at the betting window. Ah, oh, here we go, the infamous fight. Next up in the flyweight division, we got Edgar Shirez. He's ten and five, taking on Daniel Miojo, the Silva Lacerda, who's eleven and five. Currently, they got it. Edgar Shire is minus 365. The comeback on Daniel Da Silva Lacerda is plus 290. So I bet on Da Silva like the first two times they were, you know, scheduled to fight, which was in Vegas. Reason being was the Lion. Firstly, I think that Lacerda is extremely talented, similar to his buddy Mendonce. They train together. It's just that Lacerda, it's like I can't criticize his kicking game, his punches, his jujitsu like his athleticism i can't criticize any of that man like he's good i can only just criticize like people criticize the cardio it's not about the cardio i think it's more mental than anything because to make flyweight you have to be in good shape dude like he's in good shape it's more so he sells out so hard 
for positions. He goes so hard for that kill that he empties the gas tank. We're going, if I'm driving 100 miles per hour on the highway, it's only science that the gas tank is going to diminish. And that's not about, oh, my car is not properly equipped or whatever the case might be, dog. It's about, no, gas tanks are gas tanks. And if you go 100 miles per hour, the gas tank is going to diminish. So hopefully for Daniel De Silva's sake, he can hone it in a little bit. And he tried to do that that last fight. The issue I'm having here, though, is that this is not at sea level, my friends. <clears throat> we had three chances to, to catch this guy in Vegas because Edgar Shires, here's the thing about Shires. Not much volume, not much assertiveness, but he's opportunistic and he's durable as hell. Like you watch that third round against Tyra, dude, that guillotine he had on Tyra was like, yo, like I know uh, Lacerda is going to tap to that. Um, and then also you watch this uh, Edgar Shires fight he had on his regional scene. I don't know if y'all remember when he like choked the guy unconscious with the triangle and the ref didn't stop it. The guy's out. The guy's out cold, and then Edgar's going for an arm bar, hyperextending the guy's arm. The ref is still not stopping the fight. Like that was like that was scary, man. But like even in that fight, he was having very sketchy moments. Like I don't think Edgar Shires has a good process or has good minute winning ability, like the kids like to say. Um, it's just that he's durable as hell and is gonna stick around. And in Mexico City elevation, that's what I'm worried about. Like, dude, like. We had our chance to catch Shires in Vegas, right? I was looking forward to that, but in Mexico City, I don't know. And it might even be a non-factor. Sometimes this shit, hey, go out there flying knee him real quick. Hey, the Mexico City doesn't matter. It's just I'm less confident in Da Silva here in Mexico than I was in Vegas. I mean, you got to be a guy who already had historically bad you know, not bad cardio, but just like goes balls to the wall. So as a result, he's going to fatigue. And now you're doing it like, again, this elevation talk. I know a lot of people are talking about it, but I don't know if y'all have ever been to Mexico City. I have my mom's whole side of the family is from Mexico City. And like, dude, you walk up a flight of stairs and it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to be there months in advance to acclimate. You look at that fight between Cain Velasquez and Fabricio Ordum. Cain Velasquez, no, Cain Velasquez, known as being Cardio Cain, the Mexican hero, uh, he's the one gassing because he didn't go out far enough in advance to acclimate. So I'm just saying, that's what I'm worried about. But it, but then again, minus 365 on Edgar Shire is against anyone on the roster. And I don't want to be a pussy picking um, De Silva already like the last three times they were scheduled to fight. And now... Now I'm going to back out and pick Shires, and now's the time that De Silva wins despite the Mexico narrative. So this one's really hard for me. So I'm going to still lean with my boy Miojo De Silva, but I am nowhere near as confident, and this time I'm probably passing um, because, like, again, I know that sounds terrible. You're picking up plus 290 and you're passing. I'm only picking him because I don't want to puss out, you know, because, like, I've picked him the last few times, but last few times I was a lot more confident, like, especially where the fights took place. Here in Mexico, Bobrecito, I really don't know. So, yeah, I'm probably staying away. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Claudio Pulis. He's 12-3, and three, taking on Fares Ziam, who's 14-4. and four. Currently, they got it. Fares Ziam, minus 220. The comeback on Claudio Pulis is plus 185. So, I'm a big fan of Fares Ziam. I've bet him in a few fights. Uh, the Terrence McKinney fight didn't go our way, but you know the deal with Terrence McKinney. 
just get me past round one and we win. And unfortunately, we couldn't even get past like minute one. So, of course, we didn't win. But then I bet on um, Fares Yamb against Mikal Figlak. It was like plus 170, plus 180. That was a sharp ass bet. But and Ferez, he's a kid that like won the K1 when he was like 21 years old. And I still don't think he's fully shown what he's capable of. Like, I, I'm waiting for Ferez to get this big knockout in the UFC at some point soon because I think he's fully capable of it. Um, and he was getting some knockouts on his regional scene. It's just been more point fighting esque in the UFC, which I have no issue with. Win the fight by any means necessary. This guy's clearly stepped up his grappling. He's a purple belt in jujitsu. Um, his wrestling's gotten a lot better. He's super long for the weight class. Um, the volume's a little bit on the lower side, but I like this kid Ziam a lot. I just don't like the price on Ziam. And then Puelas, we know what the deal is with Puelas. He's a leg lock guy. Leg lock guys sell out for their leg locks, and when they don't get them, they usually look for the door. Um, and Fares has been submitted early before, like the McKinney fight. Um, back in his regional scene, he got submitted in the first round twice. So you cannot put it past Claudio Pulas to come out here and submit Fares Ziam with one of his leg lock attacks. You just cannot. So I think it's a dogger pass situation. I'm going to lean towards Ziam, but I'm not trying to lay no minus 220 on Ziam. Ziam's not a guy you lay big chalk on unless it's a big time mismatch. And I'm not saying it's not a mismatch on the feet. I'm just saying one opportunistic takedown to a submission attempt is all it could take for Claudio Puelas. So I actually think it's a dogger pass situation, but I like Ferez game a lot more. And if he, if he comes in here and plays this smart, he could put a clinic on Puelas. It's just any time that Puelas shoots for a leg, any time that Puelas pulls guard, like I need Ferez to back up and tell him, hey, get up, son, not follow him into his guard for his ego or any shit. So it's kind of like a fight IQ test for Ferez Yam. And I'm hoping it's when he passes because I've been high on this kid for a while, but he, he's just a kid. And hopefully now, how old is he? By, how old is he now at this point? Okay, he's 26 now. And I remember he came into the UFC when he was like, what? Okay, back in 2009. So like five years ago. So he came in the UFC 21. Now he's 26. So now you're going to start to see these big leaps. Um, Claudio has got a... I hope that that hooker fight was a good learning experience for him. I'm sure it was. That like not all these dudes, you're going to just be able to get your leg lock attacked with. Very vulnerable to the body. And even in a lot of these fights, like you watch a fight he had back in the day with um, this Brazilian cat. What was the kid's name? Felipe Silva. And like Felipe Silva was beating the living shit out of Claudio Puelas. And then Puelas pulls off that knee bar in the third round. So for Fares, just be on your P's and Q's for all three rounds and you should win this fight. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Luis Rodriguez, lazy boy. He's 16 and two, making his UFC debut against Denise Bondar, who's 19 and four. Currently, they got it. Luis Rodriguez, minus 125. The comeback on Denise Bondar is plus 105. So, it was a ridge. I think it kind of flipped slightly. It's been a pick em and, you know, originally a slight lean on Bonder, now a slight lean on on uh, Lazy Boy, and it's been going back and forth. And, and, and here's my thing. So initially, it's, it's amazing how, like, your memory of what happened compared to actually going back and watching some tape and refreshing can just be drastically different. Because back in, was it 2020? When he fought uh, Jerome Rivera. Yeah. Back in August of 2020, he fought Jerome Rivera. Um, Lazy Boy did on Contender Series, right? And he lost. And a lot of people thought that it was this big time robbery. At the time, I did too. And I was like, wow, like Lazy Boy should have got signed. 
all these things. And that was the only fight I had ever watched of him, right? But go so so that's the only fight I'd ever watched of him. And then this fight gets announced, and I'm like, oh shit, I get lazy boy Rodriguez to fade Denny's Bonder. Let's fucking go. So I go back and I rewatch that Jerome Rivera fight, bro. It was it, it, it wasn't the robbery I initially thought. Look, I thought round two was clear for lazy boy. But round one and three, you can make an argument either way. So it's really not the biggest robbery I've ever seen, like I initially thought. And to go to a 55, 50, ooh, didn't he end up going like 0 and 4 on the UFC and like just got like smoked every fight? You know what I'm saying? Like Ode knocked him out in 26 seconds. Zalgas finished him in like two minutes. Like, Tyson Nan knocked him out. Like Francisco Figueredo's going out there decisioning this guy. So like, yeah, dog, going to a 50-50 fight with Jerome Rivera is not a good look. Then you then he goes back to his regional scene, and it's like he's clearly like a level above athletically and skill-wise, but it's like he's missing like there's something missing. I think that name, Lazy Boy, is very fitting because it's like you look at his last two fights, right? And this dude, they're at bantamweight. He goes in there. He misses weight for his last two bantamweight fights. Now, now he's dropping a flyweight. Hey, don't be surprised if Lazy Boy misses weight for this one. But I digress. I go back to these fights on his regionals, and he's fighting absolute bombs. I, I'm saying, like, real. You look at their records. Some of their records look okay, like five and zero, oh and this and that. No, no, no. Go, go watch those fights. Like, it was bad, dude. And some of these guys are like picking him up and slamming him and like having moments against him. And it was like, like some 11 and 11 guy made it to the third round with it. Like it, it, I don't know, man, he might not be the guy I initially thought. And then with Denny's Bondar, he had one of these very soft regional scenes where like, he wouldn't even like fight in a cage or a ring. Like there was like, like it's like just like a mat like a sumo mat and like if they hit the ground they'd stand them back up and like it was just like all kinds of awkward rules his record's completely padded he hasn't fought anybody he allegedly beat steven urseg on some like exhibition fight where they each had like four fights on one night but i didn't get a chance to see it so i don't really know the ins and outs and plus four fights in one night like like okay dog um and then Losing to Malcolm Gordon is a fucking red flag, no matter what. Even if it was an injury, like, he got rocked by Malcolm Gordon first. And then the Carlos Hernandez fight, he looked a lot better in that fight. But the thing about Bondar is, he's, he, I mean this respectfully, he's kind of a weenie. Like, he's kind of, like, not a physical presence. I thought he looked better skills-wise in the Carlos Hernandez fight. Like, at least he went for it. He landed some takedowns and stuff like that. Like, I think, I, I think... Denny's Bondar is going to try harder than Luis Rodriguez, but I think Luis Rodriguez is a lot more gifted and skilled than Denny's Bondar. So it's a tough one. You have a coin for me to flip? Um, I got this Apple Maraca. So if it lands on, on, the, on the yellow top, we'll go with Lazy Boy. If it lands on, well, they're both yellow, but the smaller yellow top, we'll go with Denny's Bondar. So... Hold on. I fucked that up. One more time for good luck. Big top. So we're going with uh we're going with the Mexican in Mexico. We're going with uh Luis Lazy Boy Rodriguez, but it's too bad he's not the guy I thought he was and like 
let me show me you're gonna make weight and stuff but then again denny's bonner he also trains in elevation but granted down at jackson wink which is a camp that's fell off a long time ago and nowhere near the, ele the elevation of mexico yeah this is a this is a coin flip fight for me it might not play out like a coin flip but it's a coin flip for me where i went into tape wanting to be confident on luis and again tape is not the be all end all but the tape talked me off of a off of Luis, and it's just a pass for me, but I'll pick Luis. Let's see what happens. Now, also in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Victor Altamirano. He's 12 and 3, taking on Felipe Lipe Daytona Dos Santos, who's 7 and 1. Currently, they got it. Holy shit. <laughs> Felipe Lipe Daytona Dos Santos, minus 285. The comeback on Victor Altamirano is plus 245. So I bet on Manel Cap at like minus 320 or some shit against Lipe Daytona, against Dos Santos. That's how confident I was. And people say that he went tit for tat with Manel Cap and this and that. And was it a great fight? Yes. But like, let's not, <laughs> let's not bend the truth here about what really happened in that fight. Manel beat the shit out of this kid knockdowns takedowns outstruck him like just because this kid had a couple moments and fought tough again a lot of times when people fight better than the line indicates on a loss people overblow it like i did with rolando bedoya against keenan song granted i fucked up because the next fight against kevin jusay um and uh keenan song i should have just bet kevin uh, kevin jusay on principle like a system bet because Fading Sankinan works long term. It's just that Bedoya was a perfect example of that kind of overreacting to someone overperforming in a loss, right? And uh, get ready till y'all hear uh, Kevin Jusset's next fight. It's a uh, it's a very very intriguing one. Choo choo. And uh, anyway, so currently you guys already heard the odds. So what I think about this matchup is this: Victor Altamirano, former LFA champ. And I'm a fan of this kid because he's got a lot of spirit. He fights with a lot of heart. He kind of has like a Taekwondo-esque background where he's throwing all these kind of like weird kicks. He can go three hard. He has faded in fights and maybe he fades here, but at least he went out two weeks in advance to address the elevation. Um, whereas Dos Santos, he's on those shoot the box vitamins, the, those Flintstone vitamins. You know, you know, they've been harvesting that garden of life fruits and vegetables but he just got to Mexico like a couple days ago. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Um, Felipe, like on his regional scene, he gave up easy, easy takedowns, but he's got that shoot the box aggressive style in your face consistently. This is interesting because in the pocket, I favor Dos Santos, but at range, I favor Altamirano with his kicks. And then it's going to be interesting to see who scores the takedowns um, in this fight because Altamirano scored three against Vinicius Salvador, scored one against Tim Elliott. Um, whereas Dos Santos is not just the Cape fight where he got taken down. He's been taken down in a, in a lot of his regional fights too against lower level comp and sometimes wasn't able to get back up like, like life alert. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, this is a really good, I'm going to lean with the physicality of, of Dos Santos, but I'm not rushing to the window. Like I, I need to see a little bit more just because you fought tough in a fight where you got your ass whooped is not enough for me to lay minus 300 on you against a really game opponent in Altamirano. So it's a pass for me, but I'll pick uh, Felipe Dos Santos. Now, last but not least, in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Muhammad Naimov. He's 10 and 2, taking on Eric Silva, who's 9 and 2. Not, not that Eric Silva, not Eric India Silva, who came into the UFC and was like the talk of the town for a little bit and then became a busted prospect. But I'll always have a soft spot for Eric Indio Silva. But currently they got it. Mohamed 
Naimov minus 375. The comeback on Eric Silva is plus 310. So while I do agree with Muhammad Naimov being a favorite in this spot, and it's been impressive, his career turnaround, to, to lose to the guys he lost to, like Colin Anglin, who, you know, and, and then to all of a sudden turn it around, you're getting these upsets against Jamie Malarkey, against Nathaniel Wood. You love to see it, but I got to be honest. I think that those were kind I really don't want to sound like I'm discrediting him, and I think he's going to win this fight, you know, spoiler alert, but those were circumstantial wins that I don't think are indicative of, oh, man, this guy's a future top 15 guy. Like, like let's put perspective on it. Jamie Malarkey's been knocked out five times, okay? Jamie Malarkey's chinny, so the fact this dude caught um, Malarkey. I mean, it was a big upset, and it was up a weight class, so respect. But, like, how many times have you all seen Malarkey get chinned? And then Nathaniel Wood, kind of a similar ordeal. But that's, like, the definition of a letdown spot. Nathaniel Wood had just beat Charles Jordan and Andre Feely back-to-back. -back. So you're thinking, all right, now you're going to get, like, a top 15, top 20 guy. Now, here's this unknown guy, Muhammad Naimov. And not only that, you got to go all the way to Abu Dhabi to fight a guy named Muhammad. So, it, it, you know, like the cards were just stacked against Nathaniel Wood, not to mention Nathaniel Wood, another guy who's extremely chinny, is a former uh, bantamweight, got knocked out by John Dodson back in the day. So while it's a good name on the resume, people are overblowing it. Like, wow, Naimov is about to be, you know, the next top 10 guy. Like Jonah Hill, cut, cut. No, he's not. And there's a reason after the Nathaniel Wood fight, they didn't just rush him up to a top 15 guy because they know exactly what the deal is. They know how circumstantial that was. And not to mention those like eight to 10 low blows he landed on Nathaniel Wood didn't, didn't, didn't uh, hurt, uh, didn't hurt Naimov, but definitely hurt Wood, right? Um, and then this kid, Eric Silva, he kind of reminds me of like this week's Carlos Vera, right? Like coming into the UFC, 36 years old, tough Latin American. Good submission game, but when you step up to this level, it's just a little bit different. And yeah, I I, I do think that you know as long as he can't submit Naimov early, which I don't think he's gonna do. I, I think that Naimov's you know just gonna do his thing here, and then we're gonna get a really good price to fade Naimov. And I look forward to that. It's nothing against him. I like Naimov. When we bet against guys, it's just business. When I bet on Ilya El Matador Taporia last week had nothing to do with you know some disrespect to volk i love volk this game is just business and you have to approach it as such and i i know that when the fighters hear you picking against them they might take it as disrespect but this is the game we play this is the gambling game so you got to take it for what it is so my friends let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch so what is the fight to watch for ufc mexico for me, I mean, look, my fight to watch has to be the feature bout between Daniel Zilhuber and Francisco Prado. When you got a 14 and one versus a 12 and one, let alone Mexico versus Argentina in Mexico, the two bulls colliding, like, but drastically different body types and styles. Daniel Zilhuber with that long, kind of flashy striking style, but with some sharp hands too, taking on Prado, who's this short, stocky marauder with nasty ground and pound. And both guys got super bright futures, but only one of them is going to take that rise up Saturday night. And for that reason, Zelhuber versus Prado is my fight to watch. 
My fighter to watch is Manuel Loco Torres. Look, this is a guy who's coming off three first round knockouts, all like under like three or four minutes. They've looked incredible. He's taking on a tough guy in Chris Duncan, who's a who used to be like a bar brawler, and now he's like a grinder. And this is a spot for Manuel. Like, okay, Manuel can obviously get an early knockout, but like, man, I really want to see this go past round one because I want to know more about Manuel Torres. I want to know, is he really that prospect that people are saying he is, or was it kind of circumstantial with the opponents he got? Like, like I, I, I got to sit down and find out, man. So for that reason, Manuel Torres is my fighter to watch. Well, my friends, we did it. Thank you so much for all your support, especially last week, man. I saw a lot of y'all came through and, you know, supported the the Taporia podcast. And, you know, we had a really good week that week, which I needed. Um, and I'm excited to just keep the momentum going and try to give y'all more quality. That's it. You know, keep the positivity going and just enjoy this sport we love and try to get better with our processes and all that. So much love, much respect to all you guys. Thank you so much for all your support. Please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. If you're not already subscribed when this is over, leave me a comment. If you feel so inclined to share, that is greatly, greatly appreciated. Then you can follow me on Twitter at best fight picks on Instagram at half the battle pod. And I look forward to speaking with you all very, very soon. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. Viva Mexico, cabrones. Viva Mexico, hijo de puta.